But think about it. Last week I mentioned Acts 17, 28, and I want to read this again to you because God saves us from death on a daily basis. He sustains us. In Acts, the apostle Paul said, for in him we live and move and exist. Every breath that you breathe, every heartbeat, every time it pumps in your chest, that is God keeping you alive. Our lives, our body is very fragile. We don't control it as, as hard as we might try to eat healthy and eat right and do the right things and put on the, the right protection out in the sun. It is God that protects us. It is God that keeps us alive every moment, day by day. The fact that you and I woke up this morning was a miracle from God, if you think about it. God saves us on a daily basis. So God does still heal people from death. God saves us every day. He sustains us. And probably more importantly, and what we'll be celebrating next month and a few months after that, is that God saves us from spiritual death. Think about that. God saves us from spiritual death. Jesus, in John 11, uh, verse 25 and 26, when he was talking uh, to Martha, uh, Lazarus's sister, after he had died, Jesus said to her, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And this is a question that you need to answer as well, and I. He says this, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? At a very real time in Martha's life, her brother had just died. And Jesus says, we know the story, he gets revived, but before that he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you, if you, though you die, you're going to live. And who believes in me never really dies. Do you believe this? And each and every one of us this morning needs to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do you really believe that you're never going to die spiritually? Because that's why we're here this morning. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate. So God truly does deliver us from death, if you think about it spiritual death jesus abolished death and brought immortality and life to each and every one of us who believes in second uh, timothy 1 10 it says this but now speaking of eternal life but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior christ jesus who abolished death brought life and immortality to light through the gospel christianity proclaims that we live forever eternally God brought immortality to us through his son, Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus made this, us spiritually alive. In Colossians chapter 2, I love this verse, verses 12 through 13. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, speaking of Jesus, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having, verse 14 as well, having counseled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Death does not strike the Christian spiritually. Physically, each and every one of us, unless the Lord comes back in our lifetime, will die but we will rise again and live forever. This happens at the second coming of our Lord. And just uh, 
just to remind ourselves of this, I would like to read this, and you can turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Another great verse for us to remember. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, let's start in verse 51, because here the Apostle Paul is proclaiming what happens at the second coming. The final consummation of eternal life happens then. And he writes this in verse 51. Let's start in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. So that's spiritual life. And we will be changed, meaning, hey, if we're still alive when this happens, for the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death, so this is how God defeats death, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but... Thanks be to God, very appropriate for our time right now, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is describing right there the second coming when Jesus will come back to this earth and those of us who have died will be raised from the grave, imperishable and immortal, and those who may be still alive, they will be caught up together with him and we will all be changed and no longer will death exist. So yes, God does deliver his children from death. I just read about it. Now he may heal some of us. He may save some of us. He may come back in our lifetime. But if he doesn't, ultimately we are all going to die. It's a, a fact, a reality. But God knows how to deliver his children. He will raise us up just like he did King David. He will reach down and bring us up from the pit. And we will live for him forever, for all eternity. That is something to be thankful for. For God delivers his children from death. Now let's go back to our text now and look at verses 4 through 5. Because here David, or the editor of the psalm, one of them, right here now asks the entire people who would be reading this or listening to this to thank God for it, to praise God. Look at verses 4 through 5. To sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. So the editors of the Psalms, or King David himself, puts this there and says, Hey, because of what God has done, everyone, let's rejoice together. Let's thank the Lord. He says, Give thanks to his holy name. He wants everyone to join in. Praise God, first of all, that he's healed King David, he's telling Israel. And then he's reminded congregations in the future, like us, to give thanks for what God can do. Because it is through scripture that we learn what God does. And God heals, God saves from death, right? And he wants all the people to praise God. He wants all the people to give thanks. And then he also says something else in verse 5, and I want you to see that again. He says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a last, a lifetime. What is going on here? Well, we'll learn in a few moments that I believe that King David is suffering because of his own sin. 
And so God is disciplining him, which we'll see in a few moments. That's why he says, for his anger is for uh, just for a moment. So God's discipline is temporary. And that's something we can be thankful for as well. And that's actually our second point. Be thankful that God's discipline is only temporal. It's temporal for his children now. Right? So if you're being disciplined by God for some reason, and we always don't know when, right? Or we're suffering for that. Guess what? It is only temporal. Just like when you were disciplined by your parents, or if you're still young and you get disciplined by your parents, even though you might seem like it's lasting a lifetime, it is only temporal that you're disciplined. Right? It's not forever. Right? They're not going to keep you from your, uh, back when I was young, my, I mean, I had a phone, but it was like connected to the wall. You guys remember the, and it had a cord. It was, I mean, I was real fancy. I had a cordless phone, so that was like real cool. But there were many weeks, you could ask my mom, she'd be glad to tell you that she took it away from me, and I would lose my privileges to talk to my friends. But it was only temporal until I messed up again, and then my mom and dad would take it away again. But God, even more so, his discipline on his children is temporal to get you to come back, and that's what's going to happen to King David as well. And we can be thankful for that, that God's discipline is only temporal. And on the flip side of that, we can be thankful that God's favor on his children is eternal. Right? He says, for his favor is for a lifetime. God's favor on us is for a lifetime. Again, just like the love of your parents. Your parents will love you forever. They'll discipline you for a short time, but they love you forever. Nothing can change that. How much more so for God towards his children? Even when we sin against God, his anger is temporal and his favor is eternal. And this also should remind us, even outside of being disciplined by God, is that the trials and tribulations in our life here that maybe aren't brought upon our, by ourselves are also temporal. They're short-lived in relation to eternity the Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8, 18. He says this. I love this verse. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be real, revealed to us. So even the worst thing that can happen to us, the worst time that we're going through in this world, is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed at the second coming. Right? Imagine whatever you're going through now, the worst thing that can happen to you or your family is going to pale in comparison once we stand before God in eternity. That's what he's telling us. I want to read another verse that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians about this same topic. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 8 through 11, and then we'll also look at a couple more. And this also is reminding us that trials and tribulations in life are temporal, short-lived. Look at what he writes. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So he's acknowledging that life is tough. And for the Apostle Paul, it was really tough. He was being persecuted, even going about doing God's business. Right? He was crushed. 
And he's saying, hey, as Christians, life gets tough. The world is against us. We can be perplexed. We can be forsaken. We can be struck down. And I like what he says in verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Always caring about this this suffering in our own lives as believers. In verse 11, he continues. He says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, specifically, he's talking about persecution for being a believer. But by extension, we can apply that to our lives. Just in our daily life, we suffer always, right? And maybe you are suffering for being a believer. You're being persecuted in some way. You're being excluded or looked down upon or talked about or being left out. And that happens constantly. Drop down to verse 15 of the same chapter. He says this, Therefore, don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He's reminding us, hey, this suffering that you're going through, Christian, Christian church, it pales in comparison to what's reserved for us in heaven. This, this life, even though, you know, you, sometimes it seems like things take forever, this life, believe me, as I get older, I think about this all the time, is, goes by so quick. It's so quick. And once we are in eternity, it will pale in comparison. We will all sit back somewhere in heaven and, and, I don't know, and laugh maybe. Man, we were crying about that. We were worried about that. Look at what we have now. It's nothing in comparison. I, I would compare it to like something that upsets a little child, right, when they're like four or five. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And then when they get older, it's like, I can't believe I cried about that, you know. That will be us in heaven. That will exactly be us. So a few more things to be thankful for. Be thankful that God's discipline is temporal. And be thankful even more so that his favor is eternal on each and every one of us. Let's go back to our text in Psalm uh, Psalm 30. Let's look at verse 6 now. I will have a couple more points of application here on being thankful. Here David recounts and reflects on his state of self-confidence before his, this trial that he had. And this is what I said in the beginning that it seems like David brought upon this sickness or whatever was happening because he was sinful. So he's going to recount that here and then he's going to show us how he got on the road to repentance. So look at verse 6. He says, Now as for me, so David's telling us, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. So there's a sense of pride right here. David was uh, being blessed by God prosperous, maybe healthy, wealthy, whatever it was. And he says, in my prosperity, look at what did he say? I will never be moved. He had a little too much self-confidence. Like, like I've arrived and nothing's going to knock me off this pedestal, whatever. I, he's achieved the pinnacle of whatever, success, military success, financial success, relationship. I don't know what it was in David's life, but he acknowledges there was a time in my life that I was being blessed so much that I said, I shall never be moved. And then look what happens in verse 7. And he says, O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. So 
something happened here that God removed his hand of blessing on David. That's why he says, you hid your face, right? And I was dismayed. He was frightened all of a sudden at the reality that God had removed his hand of blessing upon him. And he realized that it was God who makes him strong. I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of a, a good example of this. You know, so, you know when you have a, a young child, a, a little baby, or maybe not a little baby, maybe like a toddler, and you're throwing them up in the air and they get this big smile until they start coming down, right? Then their, their faces gripped with fear as they're coming down until you grab them. That's what I imagine King David. He was excited, and then he started to come down, and he got afraid for a minute. God removed his hand, and he was fearful, just like a child. Again, you throw them up, and as they're coming down, they're gripped, you know, like on a roller coaster. And they get scared for a moment. And this is what happened to King David. He saw God remove his hand of blessing upon him, and he got a little scared. He was dismayed. But that was a good thing because it got him to realize that it was God who made him the mountain. God who gave him his prosperity. And that's what he says. Look at verse, uh, verse 8 at this time. He says, and to you, O Lord, I called. And to the Lord, I made supplication. So it was at that time when he got dismayed, God shook him up. Again, this is why discipline is good because it gets you to realize that, hey, you're doing something wrong. You need to return. Right? You're not just going to always be blessed when you're saying you're a child of God and, you, and you're not doing what God has called you to do. God can remove his hand to get your attention. And so David cries out to the Lord. Again, he realizes, again, it's not me, it's God. And I need God to help me. And look at what he says. He says, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? He's realizing if I die, I cannot praise God anymore. There's no profit if I die. So he cries out to God. Right? And God ultimately, as we know, God will heal him. But the point here is that God is bringing him to repentance by shaking him up, getting his attention. Now, does that mean if you're going through a hard time that you're doing something wrong? No, not at all. But in this particular incident for King David, that's what was happening for him. But it does mean if you know you've sinned against God, I've done something wrong against God, and God's not blessing you. Well, that's probably God's discipline on you. Now, I would never say black and white, yes or no, but it could be. And so we always need to be humble and check our hearts and see where we're at. Did I sin against the Lord, and is that why I'm in this place that I'm in? Sometimes it's not so easy to know that, so we have to be careful. We cannot say, if I'm being blessed, I'm doing something right, and if I'm being cursed, I did something wrong. That's not true. So David, again, is recounting, he's reflecting that his sinned against God and his road to repentance, so he realizes it. And then he says in verse 11, or verse 10, he says, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord, be my helper. So again, he's, he's cried out to the Lord. He, he realizes he needs God. And so what happens, verse 11, which is true of anybody that repents of their sins against God, verse 11, he says, You turned... For me, my mourning into dancing, you have loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So something that we can be thankful for as well is that God forgives the repentant person. If you've sinned against God, he will forgive you if you repent. That's true for a believer. That's true for a non-believer. If you sincerely repent, 
Say, God, I've sinned against you. He will forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9 promises this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So be thankful, believer, that God will forgive you if you've sinned against him. And for those of you that have never confessed your sins before God, know this. If you confess your sins, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that is something to be thankful for because not only does it, it doesn't end there, he's going to turn your mourning into dancing. Your repentance will lead to gratitude for God. This leads to the expression of our gratitude for what God has done. You realize God saved me. God brought me out of the depths of Sheol, out of the pit, and saved me both spiritually and physically. He can do that. And so that's what happened to King David. And again, how does King David respond to this? That's the very last verse, and I read it, but let's read it again. How does he respond from all this? Well, number one, he says, my soul sings praise to you and not be silent. He sings praises to God. God has, I mean, how many of us, if we were on, on deathbed, right, and we were saved, we probably would sing, right? Praise God, I did not die. He sings praises to the Lord. But how much more so, spiritually speaking, praise God, you will never die. Do you believe that? God says, be thankful and and sing, excuse me, David says, sing praises to the Lord. If you're thankful to the Lord, then sing praises to him. Not only that, he says, O Lord, I will give thanks to you forever. He says, not only sing praises, but be thankful. How long? Forever. So we too should sing praises to the Lord. That's the application for us this morning. Because of all that God has done, all that we're thankful for, we should sing praises to the Lord. And secondly and finally, we should express our gratitude forever. We should forever be thankful to God for what he has done, what he does, and what he will do for us. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, pretty much says this is what we are to do. Peter writing to the church says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, Right? So these are all the things that God has made his people, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, God's own possession. For what purpose? Look at what it says. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are you praising God? Because God dragged you out of death and gave, brought you into this marvelous light. He called you out of it. For you were once not a people, verse, nine, uh, verse 10 goes on and says, but now you are the people of God, right? You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He has took your mourning and turned it into dancing. He has took your mourning and turned it into joy and gladness. Therefore, sing praises to the Lord God and thank him forever. That is what we are called to do as his people. And again, for those of you this morning that are maybe in here and have never given your life to the Lord, have never realized that you've sinned against him, I would encourage you this morning to come to him and repent of your sins and experience and be thankful for all that God has done for you and has for you. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, what is in store for each and every one of us who is called his child. 
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for what you have done. Lord, even for disciplining us at times and and causing us to realize that we've sinned against you and causing us to repent and forgiving us of our sins and giving us reasons to be thankful, to dance, to sing to you and to be grateful for all that you've done for us. I pray this morning that each and every one of us who is called your child would remember to do that, Lord God, forever, as King David said. Lord, that we would always sing praises to your name for what you have done for us. And we would always give thanks to you forever for what you've done for us. And again, Lord, when we go through hard times, for each and every one of us will, may we remember that in the midst of that, you are with us. And that you are holding our hand and guiding us through that process. And that you still love us. And that these promises are true even as we go through this. And Lord God, even if you don't save us from the pit of death at a certain time in our life, we know that we will will rise again. Just as you told Martha, Lord God, that you are the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in you, though they die, they will live. And those who live for you will never die. We believe this, Lord God. And I pray this morning for those this morning who don't yet know you in that way, that they would walk forward today during this uh, time of worship and pray with us and repent and cry out to you and confess their sins against you, Lord God, that they might receive eternal life, that they might today receive spiritual life and look forward to that day when their life and their bodies will be resurrected and they will live for you for all eternity where death no longer exists. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you've given us and all that you do for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.